0: Before we start this episode, we have a quick message from our sponsors.
1: If you're studying for the Foreign Service Officer Test like us, we have a great study tool for you.
0: Besides listening to our podcast, we also use FSO Compass.
1: On FSO Compass, you can find practice tests for every section, comprehensive courses that guide you through the entire application process, and you can even connect with other aspiring U.S. diplomats.
0: The resources have really helped us prepare, and we hope they help you too. To access FSO Compass and get 10% off your annual subscription, be sure to use the link in our description box. Good luck!
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to another mini-sode of How Did We Not Know That? My name's Nat and today I wanted to talk to you all about theories of international relations. recently posted a mini-sode about Keynesian economics, which if you haven't listened to it yet, be sure to do so after this episode. I also wanted to do a sort of mini-series about a certain subject, but economics is not really my strength, sadly. I did, however, have to take about a million classes in college about theories of international relations, so I thought maybe I could talk to you all about that today. But before I dive in, I have a very exciting announcement for you all. Jack and I will be hosting our very first live stream on February 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Jack is incredible and she just took the Foreign Service Officer Test recently. So we're going to talk about her experience and go into more detail about how we're studying for the test. So, you can join our live stream on YouTube through our channel, How Did We Not Know That. Be sure to like our videos and subscribe as well. <laughs> um, there will be a chat feature where you can ask us questions, or if you prefer, you can send us your questions earlier to our email, HowDidWeNotKnowThat, at gmail.com, or to our Twitter, at HDWNKT. And as a thank you to our lovely Patreon supporters, we will be sharing the recording of our live stream to you all so you can view it at your leisure. So everyone mark your calendars and join our YouTube live stream on February 19th at 8pm Eastern Time. So I hope to see you all there. Alright, so let's get into it. The purpose of developing different theories of international relations is to better understand how countries interact with each other and why. And a quick side note, since we're getting into fancy theories and academic discussions on international relations, I will be changing my vernacular. So in international relations, we normally don't use the word country. We say nation state or just state. So, from now on, I'll be using the word state. In almost every international relations textbook, you're going to be introduced to realism in chapter 1. And realism, which I will be discussing today, is one of the most dominant theories of international relations. And while the origin of its belief and its concept can be traced way, way back in time, we don't really see a name or a label for it until 1948, when Hans Morgenthau published a book on international relations following World War II. Realism is a pretty straightforward way of thinking. Basically, it argues that all states are working to increase their own power, and whoever manages to obtain the most power will thrive. Self-preservation should be the most important goal for a state, no matter how it is protected. So pretty much goodwill and moral obligations are thrown out the window. Realism suggests that violence and deceit can actually be super helpful in obtaining power and advancing national interests. It says that your global stature is more important than your morals. And in fact, realism implies that morality and idealism are weaknesses to the state. Another proponent of realism is that the state is the primary actor. In international relations, actor is a fancy way of describing entities that participate in international relations. There are pretty much two different types of actors, state and non-state. State actors are governments and non-state actors can be individuals or organizations not affiliated with the government. So realism argues that non-state actors don't actually have that much power and that the government is pretty much the only deciding factor when it comes to foreign policy and international relations. So while realism is one of the dominating theories in the field, there are a lot of critiques about it. For starters, it doesn't really take into account a country's wealth or geographic location or culture. It assumes that all states have the same interests regardless of its history. It's a very simple theory that ignores a lot of other factors that affect foreign policy. And whenever I learned about realism in class, I always pictured like a caveman. It's just like, I don't know, like me, (laughs) me want power. Like, it's very simplistic and pessimistic. A lot of academics brush off realism as being the old school way of thinking. After the Cold War, the entire study of international relations was almost entirely revised. The Cold War really changed the way we think about the world and how states interact with each other. Realism argues that states are the only significant actor, but how do you explain the individuals in Eastern Europe that rebelled against Soviet power structures and ended the Cold War? However, not everything is black and white. It's not like we can just draw a line in our world's history and say, okay, before this, there was evidence of realist policy and leaders, uh, but now it's not relevant. Today, we still see countries that pursue realist foreign policy. I think some of the easiest examples are Russia and China. Both countries have an aggressive and sometimes violent approach to foreign affairs. We can see China's encroachment into the South China Sea and Russia's incursions in Ukraine as an example of a state trying to gain power regardless of whether or not it's morally right. And let's look at Russia's involvement in Syria. The civil war in Syria is the bloodiest ongoing violent conflict in the world today, but Russia chooses to ignore this tragedy and maintain strategic relations with the government of Bashar al-Assad in order to protect its interests in the region. And what about China's relations with North Korea? Even though North Korea has an abysmal human rights record and a history of aggressive nuclear testing, China maintains economic and diplomatic ties with the government in order to gain more power in the region. Regardless of your opinion on the theory, realist policies still exist in today's world. One of the fascinating things about theories of international relations is that we can look to them to learn how to govern and decide how we should interact with other states. So what do you think? Do you think realism should be at the forefront of international relations, or do you think we should just abandon it entirely? We have a pretty global audience, so I'm actually really curious to hear about what you all think. So let me know what your opinion on realism is by emailing us at that at gmail.com or by tweeting us at hdwnkt. Thanks for listening. See you next week. This has been an episode of
0: How Did We Not Know That? If you liked it, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on all social media, including YouTube, at How Did We Not Know That. If you thought our podcast was low quality, we know we thought so too. Help us improve the podcast by contributing to our Patreon. Thank you for listening, and see you guys next week.